So we did that, and two and a half weeks later, we had a confirmed price. Really? Yeah. yeah. It quick. was the fastest selling of a business um, that this business broker had ever seen in his history. Welcome to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell. Talking business ownership, the nuts and bolts, and everything in between. So joining me today on the Tradies Business Show is Lynette Gray, the author of Women in Work Boots. Uh, pretty sure that's uh, self-explanatory, but uh, rather than me do a crappy introduction, Lynette, uh, can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and how you came to be sitting in my office with the turquoise wall here <laughs> and the mixing desk today? Oh, hi, Warwick. How are you going? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thanks for thanks for joining us on the show, by the way. That's all right. That's, it's getting a bit cool outside today. <laughs> yeah, up here in Windy Woomba or Windy Toowoomba. Oh, windy we are, Toowoomba. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, about myself. Um, Women in Work Boots was born out of an idea of being able to encourage and inspire other women to actually... Uh, initially, it was into the transport industry. I um, was first challenged with the idea of a book, I guess, or an idea of giving back at a uh, Queensland Transport Association breakfast when they were they were actually calling for mentors for women to get into the industry because at that stage there was 22% that year and 23% the previous year of women in transport. But the actual percentage of women that were actually on the tools, so to speak, you know, the ones that were on the forklifts and driving behind the steering wheel and that was only 2 to 3%. And half of those were in Western Australia. So in the mines, obviously. In the mines, yeah. Yep. So what I decided to do was, okay, Eastern Australia, we've got to pull our pants up and see and encourage other women into it. So that was what the original idea of Women in Work Boots started off as. But you know how with any good idea, it always grows. Yes, yes. And it grew. It grew into from transport into all trades because I'd also done a stint where I'd um, worked for a company where we manufactured ski boats yeah, right. uh, as well. So I had a little bit of knowledge in the fiberglass industry. I'd mm-hmm. also worked for a tyre manufacturer. I'd also grown up on a farm. Um, so my background Whichever direction I looked had been in male-dominated industries. Yeah. And, and having two brothers, um, three boys, uh, the only female I had in my family was my dog. Um, so everywhere I went, it was males and my best friends were males. And, and it was just, to me, it made sense mm. to, to reach out to other women that were in male-dominated industries. And so that was how it was all sort of started and it grew from there. Yeah, cool. Now, you haven't always been an international best-selling author. Uh, you mentioned transport industry. You had a, um, a business uh, here in Toowoomba for yes. a number of years, yes. which you sold how long ago now? We had that business. Well, we actually started that business in 1997, mm-hmm. and we created that from an idea of, um, of freight being moved around that needed to be refrigerated. And in those days there was no such thing as safe food accreditation and everything was just sort of chucked in the back of a truck with a few ice cream, frozen ice cream containers and off it went to Brisbane. So we started this idea of refrigerator courier. Um, We did that for 19 years and had 
every conceivable thing you can imagine happened in that 19 <laughs> years. Um, sometimes things happen more than once, but anyway. Some great business lessons, hey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we learnt, we learnt everything, you know. And not only that, you also learn lots about people and your customers and you also learnt, because we're, it was the food industry, we learnt so much about every aspect of the food because we would go into the kitchens of the restaurants we would go into all the manufacturing plants with mm. you know all the importers all the the airports you know um there was all sorts of stuff that you would see so that was that was heaps of learning in that yeah yeah i bet um now we did that yeah for 19 years and then we decided well we'd better sell it you know, because the kids were our youngest who I was pregnant with six months with when we um, first started the business. Wow. He was 18. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, we'll sell it. A change of pace. And so we got it ready to si- for sale. Um, we put in lots of systems. We just tried to streamline everything because previously with the Women in Work Boots, Um, structure that I'd had the book and the journey of the book and doing workshops and um, public speaking and all that sort of thing that I'd done I'd the previous year I'd actually been away 26 weekends yeah wow and my weekend started from a Thursday and finished on a Tuesday yep right yep so the business was that automated that it didn't matter where I was whether I was in Carrara in Western Australia or whether I was in Melbourne or Sydney or didn't matter I knew exactly where every vehicle was, who that, what they had on board, um, what temperature they were running, whether how many jobs they had left to do. Um, basically, everything's still about that business, so I could do it completely remotely. And so we thought, okay, I walked into a a real estate uh, broker and said to him, okay, we want to sell this business. What do we do? I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea on how to sell it. <laughs> Put an but, ad on Gumtree. <laughs> well, I'd actually looked at businesses for sale on Gumtree and looked at what they'd done and thought, oh, that looks a bit dodgy, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I, also in one of my stints, I had a three-year working stint working for a valuer in town. So I had that information, yeah, okay. reporting and all that sort of stuff yep. also at the back of my mind. So I went into the real estate agent and said, Here's a business we want to sell, but I'd done up a prospectus, for mm-hmm. the want of a better word. Yep. I'd done up what we were, our story, where we were, the vision we had for the business that we didn't have the time or the energy to do anymore. Mm-hmm. We also put in all the information around the Toowoomba area and and gave the prospective purchaser every conceivable idea mm. to make them want to enjoy this business and let it encourage them and be able to take them with their family or whoever happened to buy it to the next level. So we did that and two and a half weeks later, we had a confirmed price. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was the fastest selling of a business um, that this business broker had ever seen in his history. What do you think the... Um, well, not the secret, but what do you think some of the contributing factors were to it being that quick? Um, because it was so simple, we'd proven that it could run without somebody, mm-hmm. you know, um, or could they could manage it from afar. Um, 
it was also the fact that I had all the systems. I had everything. I had 108 systems written up. Mm. So that was, yeah, everything. Everything from how to lock up, how to do absolute everything. All the the vehicles could be, all the information of the vehicles was in the cloud. Mm-hmm. All the accounting was in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just made ease. And... And also the employees that worked there, they knew what they were doing. Everything was simple. Everybody could cross everybody's other job. Like they, mm. there was plenty of cross rolling. Uh, yep. um, so it was basically just a matter of somebody buying it, walking in, and you know, close the doors as you, as the owner, one day, and open the doors as them, the owner, the next, and everything runs smoothly. Yeah, that's exactly what did happen because when the new owner took over, we had a contract that took them out of town for three weeks. Mm-hmm. So the big, we wanted them to take it over before that contract started because that would give them a cash injection to get through the quiet months early in the you know the January, February, March yeah, that right. we all know can be quiet. Yep. Um. So they had that. So they took over and then for the three weeks they were out of town. And our clients um, didn't actually meet the new owner for two or three weeks. Hmm. And it didn't matter. Yep. You know, it, still, it still went. Yep. Uh, it's still, and as far as I know now, um, it's still just going as it was. You know? I'm curious, and you don't have to disclose uh, how much you sold the business for, but uh, did you get the price that you wanted? We went through a really rough patch in 2010, uh, just prior to the floods. Yep. And we actually had it valued then, and we sold it for 15 times more than it was worth in November 2010. Wow. So, And remember, the floods hit January 2011. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Of which just at the end of 2011, I was about to curl up and just go, no, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I'm, it's not worth it. Yeah, because yeah. we were hit in Brisbane and in Toowoomba. Yep. You know, um, it effect- we had staff that lived in Grantham. They had mm. to drive through Grantham every day to go to work. Wow. Um, so it, it affected us in lots of ways. And then it also affected us in a way that every day, every employee had an extra two hours added to their day in overtime. So that's 10 hours overtime every day of the week just due to roadworks. Yeah, right. Just because yeah. of the travel times. Yeah, the travel out. times and the number of vehicles on the road. Yeah, yeah. So by the end of 2011, I thought, is this worth it? Oh, I don't know about this. Yeah. You know? And then I thought, hell yeah, it is. I, it was our clients. Our clients were the most important people to us because our first client that we ever had in 1997 was still with us the day that we sold it. Nice work. Yeah. So um, our clients were, yeah, that was why we kept going was because we believed in what we were doing. Mm. We could, yeah, so that was, thought, okay, let's turn this thing around. Let's make this thing actually work. And that's what we did. It was three years to when we had it revalued and it was 15 and a half times more than it was valued again. So I'm curious, Lynette, what what was behind the decision to sell? Was it writing the book or was there something else? Uh, it was a combination of factors. 
um, as you know, I said before, my son was we were six months pregnant and the youngest one was 18. Yep. So we decided, well, we'd got three kids through and we hadn't killed them or each other. <laughs> um, <laughs> and been in business for 18 years yep. at that point or 19. Yep. Um, and the book. And it was just, we were tired. Mm. We were de- dead set tired. We'd been getting up at 2.30 in the morning and up until that time when things were changed, um, working to 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And we ran that business out of our home for 10 and a half years. Wow. Uh, so when your 13-year-old comes to you and goes at 6 o'clock in the morning, comes out grumbling because he'd got out the wrong side of the bed. Yep. And says, Mum, I can't even come out to the kitchen in my boxer shorts <laughs> without a driver sitting at the table. Yeah, it was right. time to move the business out of the house. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's what it was. They, they were all in the house at six in the morning till yep. and seven, eight o'clock at night and help themselves to the bar and the fridge. It was all open slather. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting point you raise. Uh, how, how many staff did you have at the height of the business? Twelve. 12 staff. Mm. So, uh, obviously fairly dependent on them doing the right thing. and yes, uh, trust. Yeah, yeah. What was, I guess, uh, key to you developing that? How did you guys do that in the business? How do we develop the trust? Um, we were we were probably too friendly. We welcomed them in as part of our family. We mm. would treat every one of our staff members like our family, mm-hmm. um, if a client gave us, you know, spoilt goods or, uh, you know, leftovers or overs or any of that sort of stuff as they do in the food industry, yep. we would automatically share it amongst them. Yep. Um, so it was, yeah, it was that family thing. We'd do things after hours. Um, we'd wash trucks together and just, you know, mm. muck around and joke and things like that. Yep. So I guess that was, yeah, it was a building of friendship and that relationship and that respect, respected them for what they were as well as what they, we expected respect back. You mentioned that maybe that you're a little too far one way with that. Is there mm. something specific you had in mind when you mentioned oh, that? Oh, yeah, just help themselves to the bar and the fridge. That right, just, okay. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, that was the main thing. Um and the fact that they all had keys to our own private home, they knew exactly what we did, exactly what we had, where we were going for every weekend, what we, you know, we had no private family life because yeah. even, they would even come away on weekends with us to the coast, mm. you know, some. Um, but mind you, still to this day, I'm friends with some of them. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, um, and of course, you always got the ones that caused you grief but you just move on from them yeah yeah <laughs> yep that happens in every business mm, that's right yeah so i want to talk about the book but before we do just mm. just looking at uh the business um was there anything if you could go back and and have a do-over if you could go back and do things again is there anything that you'd change or do differently yeah i'd do it quicker really yeah i, I would do i would not hesitate so much um, we plan things and you'd think about things and you'd plan it and you'd think about it and you'd talk about it and you'd plan it and then you'd eventually jump in and do it. No, mm-hmm. you you got to take your parachute off and fly. Yep. That's what – yeah, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You need to um, 
yeah, have have faith in yourself, mm-hmm. and that's and that was why you don't do a lot of these things because you are doubting yourself when it's all said and done. Yeah. You know? yeah. But if you can remove that shield and jump in and just do it, mm. it will it'll fly. It'll go. Such a good point. So obviously you jumped in and wrote a book. Yes. Uh, <laughs> can you describe that process a little bit? I'm just fascinated to know how you go from running a refrigerated transport business, owning and running a refrigerated transport business, to uh, to writing a, a book about women in uh, work boots and high vis. Yeah. Well, it was part of that mentor thing, so I went looking for a publisher. Okay. Because you know? someone had told me once. And I don't know who it was, where it was, or how, but every person has a book inside them. Yep, yep. And then at that breakfast that morning, it was like, I really got to do this book. Mm. And so then that was in the February. In the March, I found a publisher, and it was published the following December. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I just jumped in. Yeah, I thought, well, I've got to do this. You know, I want to change in pace. Um, the other thing I'd like to probably mention is don't let anything be an excuse. One of the other, actually, I, one of the other reasons why I did write the book, and this is I just thought about this, was to be an example to my kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they were grade twelve, not the oldest was. Yep. Um, and it was so we knew. Don't take. Don't take no as an excuse. Like, just jump in and do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, because ba- I'm dyslexic. Yeah, right. So I thought, well, if you're dyslexic, what are you going to do? You're not going to write a book by yeah, choice. Exactly. So to me, that was the reason why. And my third child was extremely dyslexic as well. And he's more so. Um, and thank goodness we have technology these days to get us around <laughs> yeah. lots of those subjects, you know. Yeah. But that, that was my... That was probably the driving force as to why I did it was to be take something that's hard yeah. and go and do it and do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. And so that was an example so that they could move on and don't just be – they could be anything in their life, only those kids, and that's why it was an ex- to be an example. Yeah, nice, nice. Mm. So um, any lessons in writing the book? Because how long did it take to actually write the book? Oh, it was 18 months from when I first sat in the original yep. Yep. idea to when I had the book physically in my hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about, what portion of that was actually writing the book? So you sitting down with a keyboard and... None. <laughs> <laughs> um, being a keyboard and the stories. Uh, don't know about that. Um, a lot was, this is where you have, you just talk. Yep. You know, I would ring them up ring like because it's a series of interviews yeah i would ring the girls up and we'd have a chat and then i'd just get it typed up yep you know by one of the our little helpers across the sea Uh um bring it back and then i'd start hacking into it which way i wanted you know how i wanted to um i didn't change what they said because i wanted it written in their voice Mm -hmm. you know what they how they answered things Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't take that long. Um, it's interesting because when these days, I guess when you hear about people writing a book, we do still picture sitting down at a little dim desk somewhere mm. with a, a 
maybe not a typewriter these days, probably with a laptop. <laughs> a <pen and> paper. <laughs> um, but the yeah. reality is technology means we can do things very differently. Mm-hmm. And as you say, just having a chat to some of these women, probably not dissimilar to what you and I are doing now. No. Um, and then having that transcribed by somebody yeah. else. And hey, presto, you've got a book. Pretty much. Sounds nice much. and simple, but it obviously does. 18 months, it wasn't quite that easy. Yeah, there, there was a few things along the way. But, you know, the hardest thing about it was writing my chapter. Uh-huh. I was going that to was, ask you what was the toughest thing about it. Yeah, because the publisher said to me, you know, you've got to write your story. I'm going, my story? It's boring. What do you want my story for? <laughs> Who wants to hear about me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so that was the, the challenging thing. So when you read my story in there, there's lots of hints and tips and there's a story around a reason why we did stuff. Mm. Um, yep. And yeah, there's, it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just one that comes to mind is um, a ride in four-wheel motorbikes mm-hmm. um, and how we used to just – the crazy things you'd do yeah. when you're riding a four-wheel motorbike and how um, – well, what's the word? You um, – no responsibility. Yeah. You know, yeah, irresponsible. Yeah. You know, how irresponsible you really were when you – Bound across the paddocks with no helmets, no, you know, yeah. like and somehow cut. you got away with yeah, it. Yeah, well, well, we did, and we didn't. We come off end to end a few times, um, but then in that, I went into a whole section on safety on four-wheel motorbikes. Yeah, you know, yep. because it, one thing leads into another. Yeah, just those simple choices. Mm. Isn't it? Mm. Have you got uh, like a most memorable um, chapter or, or uh, subject in your book? Because, and just to put the listeners in the picture, uh, pun intended, um, <laughs> your book, uh, Women in Work Boots, is basically a series of um, interviews with women in male-dominated industries, essentially, uh, from mining to... <laughs> I'm just going to get my notes. <laughs> transport, uh, and, and it was interesting to see like there's a, a general manager of a mine in there. Um, mm. And I guess, you know, there's many and varied stories in there. But have you got a, a most memorable or a favourite uh, in there that maybe even spoke to you more than some of the others? Um, there's a few. Um, probably the one that sticks in my mind most is, as you said, manager of the mine, uh, Julie Shuttleworth is her name. Mm-hmm. And she... She took a mine in um, Africa from like embryo ecological sort of studies right through to a full performing mine. That mm. was one of her roles. Mm. Another one she did was um, in she was in Russia somewhere. I think it was Russia. Anyway, over there somewhere that nobody really likes to go when it's <laughs> cold and everything else. And they were digging up gold, and in order to pay all the locals that were working in the go- in the mine, and it was a gold mine, mm. they had to take the gold bars into the bank. Right? Seriously. So they took the gold bars into the bank. Now, these gold bars, and I can't remember the size they were, but they were double, they melted these bars into double the size of what the bank had the scales for. So mm. the, sc- the bank couldn't weigh them. <laughs> so what they ended up doing was getting a hacksaw and sawed this bar of gold in half in order to the bank to weigh it so the bank could give them the money to pay the villagers 
that were working in the mine. Gee whiz. And bit I said, bit well, of ingenuity. Yeah. I said, well, what did you do with all the shavings? Oh, she says, we just scraped them up and took them in and put them in the next bar melt. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't leave no. them there for the cleaner or anything no, like that. No, no, <laughs> no. So that was probably one of the most unusual things. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is Natalie Morgan. Her husband, she's part of the uh, Darren Morgan racing team. Yep. And he's four times top fuel champion. Um, just the stuff that they do. And she's so down to earth, practical, so unassuming, mm. uh, gentle natured lady. Mm. You know, um, just what they do and all the hype around the fuel and that. But yet yep. they're so cool, calm, collected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty fast paced sport. Yeah. Well, for a few seconds anyway, and then. Oh, uh, 4.35 to 530 mile an hour or something. Don't quote me on that, but yeah, something yeah. crazy fast. like that. Zero fast. to fast in not very long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But there's a whole lot of work. There's such a great analogy mm. for so many things in life, and, and not just for men, but, uh, mm. you know, all that work, and then it's all over in a few seconds. Yeah, well, uh, that's it. But, you know? uh, yeah, if all the work doesn't go into it, then. You, know, mm. you, you don't get a good run. Well, and even you know, Natalie packs Darren's pa- parachute to go on the back of the car. Hmm. If she doesn't pack the parachute, right? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't yeah. Uh, stop doesn't at the other stop. end. <laughs> uh, so he's putting it. He's putting his faith or his life in her hands yeah, every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. But that brings me to another point. You know, what other parachutes, for the sake of a, a term, mm. do we have in life? What what safety nets have you got around your business? What safety nets have you got around yourself? Mm. You know, who do you trust implicitly with your business yeah. if you weren't able to do something? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a good point, I guess, with packing the parachute and using that analogy and having parachutes around the business is you kind of want to have some sort of consistency to the way that it's done. Because uh, mm. if you pack the parachute different every time, you're not really sure if it's going to work each time. So that's where those systems and everything that you talked about, you had 108 systems, I think, in your business. Yeah. Um, you know, so critical to not just selling a business, but running a business. And it's a mindset I like people to get into about their business is imagine you were going to sell it and you wanted to get top dollar for it. Mm. What would you put in place? Well, you just have to take a step back and work out what businesses are selling and what have they got in place yeah. that you don't have. That's right. Yeah. And then fill the gaps. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Lynette, I want to go back to something you mentioned uh, at the start of our chat, um, and you quoted some stats about women in certain industries, um, and particularly in transport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious to get your opinion on why you think those stats are so low. Why are the numbers so low? I mean, there's a lot of banter in the media about um, you know, equal pay and and uh, women in the defence force. You know, I was reading something recently that they've stopped recruiting men um, into certain roles in the defence forces to try and get this uh, sort of mystical equality happening. Um, but as someone who's worked in those industries and obviously writing the book, you've done a lot of research and chatting to people. Mm. What are your thoughts on those disparities? Um, you know, my whole role and my whole thought's probably a little bit different to what the media portrays and mm-hmm. the media does us so much damage. Mm. You know, it's not about whether you're male or female, it's about the ability to do the job mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day. I, you look at truck drivers, it's, women 
you often think of women as being smaller, smaller frames, smaller, weaker, smaller. Yeah, we are built differently. And yeah, stuff gets in the road when they shouldn't, <laughs> you know, and it's a pain in the ass. But <laughs> or pain in something else, but yep. <laughs> um, but realistically, it's about the ability of whether you can do a job. You've got a little bloke just yeah. as well as you've got a little girl. Yeah. You know, um, and same with height and all the rest of it. So it's not about it's not about men and women's jobs. It's just the way it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the war, the women ran the country. Yeah. That was it. The yeah. men weren't here. Yep. They were off saving us. Yeah. Uh, so everybody had a role to play though. Everyone did. Yeah. Everyone did. And it's it's not about the glamour of being a plumber mm-hmm. or the glamour of being a you know, it's about doing what you really want to do. It's about your passion. Yeah. You know, where you want to go, what you're really interested in. Yeah. You know, if you're interested in hair and makeup and, and looking pretty and everything, well that doesn't matter if you're male or female. That's right. If yep. you want to be a nurse, mm-hmm. be a nurse, whether you're male or female. Mm. You know, if you want to be a truck driver, plumber, minor, doesn't matter, mm. you know. Um, Do you think it's harder to, as a, as a woman, to work in certain industries? Um, it's getting less so, and it's probably an age thing. Um, and it's to do with your confidence level. Mm. Yeah, and your your um, self awareness and your self, you know, your self confidence. Mm. Really, um, mm. it's not. And when I say an age thing, and I don't know how this is going to come out, but it'll probably come out the wrong way. And that <laughs> will right. be. I'll get the complaints. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. They got your phone number, not mine. Yeah. They got my website, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, Basically, if you you do get your forty year old sarcastic chauvinistic male, mm-hmm. you just got to figure out how to warm them up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, you you need the result. You, basically, I don't care how the result's done. I just want the result. You know, mm. um, who cares whether he does it, you do it, he says he's great and he does it. Big whoop. Yep. Doesn't matter. Job's still done. At the end of the day, you still get paid. Mm. Yeah, and That's then right. you get to go home to your family, whether you know you've done a good job or a bad job. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's yeah, my opinion on it. So I have a few um, lady tradies that listen mm. to the show, and I certainly have a lot of um, tradie wives or tradie partners uh, that are playing critical roles in that support mm. role of often doing the books, often uh, dealing with a lot of the paperwork and the administrative side of things. I mean, it just, it's just a natural progression for the way a lot of trade businesses evolve. Um, you know, the the guys on the tools, he chose to do a trade. The mm. woman ends up getting dragged into the business uh, either voluntarily or kicking and screaming to help <laughs> out. Um, or maybe she does it because, uh, you know, the, the men are so crap at it. But uh, <laughs> the business side of things... Um, but for, for the, the ladies that are listening, um, having come through, you know, a very male blue collar business, um, and I guess now again, with your insights in the book, Lynette, what sort of advice would you like to leave, um, for the, the ladies that are listening? Uh, 
you know, as far as running a business or growing a business and perhaps working in those male-dominated industries? Um, the best advice that I can leave for those those women, basically, if you support your husband or partner and you enjoy doing what you do, great, do it together. Jump in and run with it together. But if you don't and you find it a struggle, find someone who can help you to do it for you mm. so you can go and do what you love, mm. you know, you don't have to do it. There's plenty of people out there that can do a job ten times better than you if you if you find it a struggle. Mm. You know? um, and the hardest thing in the world is to ask for help. Don't be afraid. Just ask for help and and do it. Um, my youngest son is a, an apprentice carpenter. Yeah, right. And he's just his third year. And I nearly had a fit at the end of, um, when was it, about, oh, it was only recently, within the last few weeks. His boss was actually not well and he's had to change to another another employer. Now, in the process of that, they talked about it because he's got an ABN number because of his ute and he's got, you know, a few other bits and pieces. Because he had an ABN number, they were prepared to let him go across as an apprentice, sign him off and let him go across as an apprentice. And then he can just go straight into business. And I'm going, no way. He wouldn't know the first thing about any of it. He doesn't know the first thing about collecting money, how much to charge or anything. And that's not fair. But it made me think... And made me realise how easily it is that these guys end up in a business on their own. Mm. They get to end of fourth year. Their boss no longer wants them because they can't get whatever subsidy. Yep. They need an income, so they start doing their stuff on their own. But they have no idea. No one's told them or trained them how to send out a bill, how to collect money, how to... And do their bassets, how to do yeah, any yeah. of that stuff, how to just keep their fuel dockets in one spot would be a good start. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You know, so this is how it all sort of, yeah, and then that bloke gets a girlfriend and then that girlfriend's got to clean up his mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's kind of typical, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, and I guess that was the... the mess that the blokes make. Yeah, well, that was the reality check I had. Like it was... This is how it happens, and this yeah. is how easy it happens, and it's just a continual small decisions. Yep. It's just little decisions every day that suddenly, 12, 18 months' time, they, they're in strife of some way. Mm. You know? They don't know what they, they don't know where their stuff is. They don't know, you know? But they got all the toys because we've been making good money. Yeah. You know? yep. But we mightn't have done it the right way to be the best benefit. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's interesting. I was chatting to a previous guest about um, about business and about the mindset shift that's required to own a business or to be a business owner versus a tradie mm. on the tools. And uh, you know, we wonder why suicide rates and mental illness are so high for um, particularly trade based business owners. Well, it's not only trade bases; truck drivers are way up there too. Yeah. Yep. Because, you know. Same as a tradie, they go out, they've got to buy all the tools, they mortgage half their house. Yep. Um, yep. And then they've got to make the money. You know, they mm-hmm. don't know where it's coming from. You know, they're, they're stressing about the jobs coming in. You know, there'd be a downturn in the building industry. Mm. And we're not equipping 
the next generation with the the business skills and the the mental resilience skills uh, to actually deal with that stuff. Mm. So then uh, you poor women are left to clean up your mess again. Well, yeah, all we need to sing out, say help. Yeah. You know, get yeah. get get a little Janie in to yeah. do two hours a week. Yeah. Because yeah, that's all it really takes. Yep. Uh, yeah, especially if there's a – depending on the size of the business, obviously. But yeah. if you've got four or five blokes working for you, you've got enough nows to realise all that stuff. Mm. No. Was there a turning point in your own business? If we go back to the refrigerated transport business, was there a, a turning point where you realised that you had to do those things yourself or, you know, you were looking at a different future? Um, I was in the office a lot initially. I was also in the vehicles a lot and the kids were pushing boxes across the side of the truck from when they were 18 months old. As far as they – once they could tall enough or big enough to push a box, they were in the truck. Is that legal? Oh, we <laughs> did you pay this them? Is a, well, yeah, we did pay them in McDonald's. <laughs> you know, bribery, bribery, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But no, they would just—that was it. That was their way of being able to help. Yep. Right? They yep. had to, otherwise, we would never have seen them. That was yeah, just the yeah. way it was. They were brought up in the vehicles. Yeah. Do you think that's necessarily a bad thing? I'm just jumping in, no. there, but you know, having kids involved in your business or part of the ongoing uh, day-to-day business stuff, do you think it's a bad thing? No, definitely not. Because the, the, those three boys are all completely very well balanced. One, so that he's actually in Melbourne working for a transport company. Hmm. Um, following in the footsteps? Following in the footsteps. Um, the other one is a, a mechanic, a diesel fitter mechanic, and the other one's a carpenter. Um, no. Teaches them work ethics. Mm. It teach. It also taught them the value of money. Yeah, yeah. Because when they used to go with us in the vehicle, and we go to Brisbane, and you know, kids are always hungry. Our first McDonald's. Can I have McDonald's? Can I have KFC? <laughs> every stop, you know, yeah, yeah. every place you stop, they are hungry. Yep. So that we thought, right, oh, well, we'll pay you. So we paid him. I can't remember now. I don't know, two bucks an hour or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um. But they weren't paid for when they slept, because <laughs> you know, they're getting in the truck at four thirty in the morning, getting and home at six o'clock at night, and yeah. going, "Oh, you know, I've had a fourteen-hour day." No, buddy, you haven't. <laughs> you slept from six to eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then two till four. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that was taken off, but then also was taken off all their food. Uh-huh. Any food that they wanted, we took it off because then they suddenly realised. The, the value of McDonald's burgers and, you know, yeah. what it actually was. Yep. And they stopped asking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saved it up. Yeah, they wanted, you know, that was when they were getting a bit older, you know, 10 or 11. Yeah, they were like, oh, no, I want an Xbox. I'm going to work to get an Xbox. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I, I derailed you a bit, Lynette. Mm, but, sorry um, about that. Turning point um, for you in your business of you know, making that, shift i guess in mm. getting it to the stage where it was basically running itself as you described earlier uh to being in it 24 7. Mm. i remember one pivotal point was we had a, a muck up and we had to deliver one box of sausages to a town a few hours away uh-huh. and I had to have stuff. It was end of compliance. So I had to get reports and that done. Yep. And I was running late and everything. And I just had so much to do. And I'm driving down the road 
middle of nowhere with one box of sausages in the back. <laughs> and I'm going, fucking sausages. This is it. I am not doing this anymore. Yep. You know, someone else has got to do this. Yep. And that was a turning point when I said no. No yeah. more. Yeah, right. yeah. So, so that's all it took was a box, box of snacks. Yeah, one box of sausages <laughs> in the middle of the sticks, you know. So, yeah, it's a bit of a um, – that was – yeah. And there's – realistically, you have turning points all the time. Yeah. You don't yeah. realise. Um, yeah, every day there'll be a little turning point of some sort yep. each day because it comes in a form of a small decision. Mm. Yes, it happens gradually. But yeah. uh, a lot of my guests can look back and – Remember a time they can remember their box of sausages uh, <laughs> moment that they had where it's like, okay, I've got to change this. Mm. Um, and then obviously it's a long journey from there. But, yeah, that's uh, that's a good little story. Yeah, it's just that, that one point. And I distinctly remember it because I was cranky. I was yeah. really cranky. Cranky because it had happened and cranky because I was the one that was fixing it. And I was cranky because I was still working at 10 o'clock at night to do what I had to do. Yeah, to do the rest of your job. Yeah. Because someone else didn't do theirs. Yeah, that yep. was it. Yep. Yeah. So. What's what's been the best thing about writing the book, Lynnet? Um, probably the growth, the personal growth. When you, the hardest thing for me to do when I wrote the book, and this comes back to growth, mm-hmm. was when I asked a a very well recognised fellow in the transport industry, Neil Finlay. I asked him to, to give me a testimonial because I hadn't known him for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, where can I get a copy of your book to read it? Mm-hmm. And I've gone, it's not written yet. It's only half written. He said, that's okay. I'll read it. And I'm gone, no, 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 you can't. <laughs> and I had like this massive fear of someone else reading my book because my husband hadn't read it. He hadn't shown much interest in it. Yeah. Um, not that he wasn't interested in what I was doing. It just wasn't his thing. He was busy doing other stuff. And I rang the, the publisher and I said, I know this sounds really strange, but someone wants to read my book and I don't want to give it to them. And their response was, get over yourself. It's not about you. People are going to read it. And I've gone, yeah, you're right. It's not about me. Mm. You know? Mm. It's about who I can help and who, who, what lives that make a difference out of that. Well, thankfully you wrote it. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and it's a great lesson for anybody in business as well. Is it's, it's not about us. Uh, it's about our customers or the people that we serve, our, our team members. Um, mm. But too often we make it about us and our own fears and we let that get in the way of, of bigger and better things, don't we? Yeah, that's right. We do. And, and you put that aside, like you can change so many people's lives. Absolutely. Yeah, even if it is only fixing up the septic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's the neighbours too. I'm sure they'd be happy about that. <laughs> well, see, there you are. You're, in, yeah, you're changing people's lives without even looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you've you've built and sold a business. You've written a mm. book. Um, I brought up three kids without kids. Brought up three kids successfully, <laughs> yep. Uh, what's what's next for you, Lynette? What's next for Lynette Gray? Um. I guess we might just have to wait and see. Um, there's a few things on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, of what I would really do, something that's dear to my heart is the transport industry. Yep. And I would love to be able to reach out and help other transport owners that are in the spot that where we were in 2010, where they mm-hmm. are, you know, if they're there now, yep. um, and help them through it. 
bring them through it, you know, um, in order to they can either be able to build their business or sell their business or whatever they need to do. Yep. Um, because every day you see and hear stories of businesses not going in the right direction, you know, falling over and That's right. every day it's just, you know. So if I can inspire and impact any transport companies to do that, mm. yeah, definitely. That's high on my priorities list. And, um, yeah, just um, workshops and helping other kids and other women in, you know, trades or whatever. Yep. Um, yeah, definitely empowerment, power the women. Good stuff. Mm. Well, if uh, people want to find out more about you or about the book, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Actually, the best way is womeninworkboots.com.au. Great On stuff. there, there's uh, contact details and everything. So that's the easiest way, just straight there and you're in. Awesome. Mm. Well, thanks for coming into the studio, the Flash <laughs> studio today, oh, cool. with the unpacked boxes and everything yeah. from my move. But uh Thanks for coming in. Appreciate your time and uh, thanks for sharing your tips too. There's been some great insights in there for our listeners. So definitely go check out Lynette's book, Women in Work Boots, and, uh, and you can check out the website at womeninworkboots.com.au. Wonderful. Thanks, thanks. Warwick. Thanks it's again. been a pleasure. Great stuff. All right, ta. You've been listening to The Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell. Want to get off the tools into true business ownership? Find out how at tradiesbusinessshow.com.